Welcome to the Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damian Kristoff, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to the Wellness Guys. I am Dr. Lawrence Tam. I'm Dr. Damian Kristoff. And I'm Dr. Brett Hill. And this is the Wellness Guys Show, a weekly show dedicated to bringing wellness into our lives. And today, I'm very excited. I'm sure all of us are very excited because we've been waiting very. for this call. We've been waiting for this uh, interview because yeah. we've had Rob Wolf, we had Marxist, and we had Paul Check. And now we are going to have the teacher, <laughs> the educator the of all of them. Um, you know, it's like Yoda. That's right. He's Yoda. <laughs> no, back down, guys. <laughs> we have Lauren Cordain with us. And so, you know, really excited. Uh, let's give a little bit of background. Now, Lauren has, is a professor at the Department of Health and Exercise Science at Colorado State University. He, is, he has a PhD in exercise physiology from the University of Utah from Salt Lake City. I love Colorado, by the way. It's just a beautiful part of the world. Um, he's basically known as the person who, well, well he has a best-selling book called The Paleo Diet, and I think that created a movement. And uh, right now, this the Paleo Diet has been an absolute movement, not just in the States, not through Australia, but it's a movement throughout the whole entire world. And I think it's, you know, you as you will find out, it is uh, what he considers is the world's healthiest diet. Welcome aboard, Lauren. Hey, thanks a lot, Lawrence. It's uh, a pleasure to be on your show and to you know, deliver the message to uh, you know your part of the world. And I've been to Australia numerous times, and I love it. You, I love the Aussies. <laughs> well, <laughs> you guys are great people. Oh, thank you very much. That's why Lawrence stayed. That's why Lawrence has stayed around. It's That's good. right. I, I come from Canada. I haven't left this country for ten years. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Lauren, um, one of the things I find remarkable, and look, mate, we had the opportunity to talk to was a thousand naturopaths at the time, um, and naturopaths, GPs, chiropractors, osteopaths, and uh, your message, which was absolutely enlightening to me, I suppose was my first exposure to paleo. I'd heard about paleo, Metagenics had spoken about paleo a lot, especially through Paul Mannion. He'd, he'd mentioned paleo a lot. He'd been doing the paleo program. And uh, and I got up there. I gave you know my best advice, but I felt like such a little mouse standing next to a giant like yourself up there, um, giving and delivering that message that you, you you gave, which really basically blasted a whole lot of concepts of natural medicine and naturopathy out of the water. You know, for forever in a day, I hear naturopaths saying, "Oh, drop the dairy and go and have some soy milk," or you know, make sure you're getting heaps of goji berries into you, or make sure that you you know you're doing X, Y, and Z, and you know, it's okay to drop out wheat, but go and have oats instead. And you know, just stuff just blew me away when I, I always get surprised when they say that sort of thing. But what you were able to do was actually point, show us and tell us why you wouldn't want to eat goji berries and why you wouldn't want to eat, you know, why flaxseed may not do as much as what we thought it might or why soy is so bad for you. It was just great. And I suppose, where did you, where did you come up with all that? Where did you get it all? Well, Damien, first, uh, many thanks for, you know, kind of promoting this concept and uh, believing in it and don't think that you are some little mouse that is, is just, you know, recreating what I'm saying because what I'm saying doesn't come from Lauren Cordain entirely. It comes from many scientists around the world and um, I think that the data should always speak for itself. It shouldn't ever be a function of a charismatic individual and I'm a scientist at a division one research institution in Colorado State University and 
my word has to be evaluated by scientists from other universities around the world. And so my belief is, is that when you make a statement and you say something like milk is not good for you or goji berries have problems or whole wheat have problems, then what we really need to do is we need to separate ourselves from Lauren Cordain and we need to look at the data. And mm -hmm. I think that's the problem is that many scientists have bought into the idea that whole grains and milk and dairy and and even like you mentioned specific example goji berries uh, which were formerly thought to be healthy have potential health problems and when we take the template of evolutionary medicine and we place it over what humans always ate what they ate consistently and what shaped our genome then it helps us to understand what we should be eating today and what corrects uh, potentially adverse problems with our health. And, and, this, and, and we're, we're finding this out. In the last 20 years, this has become immediately apparent. If you eat high glycemic load carbohydrates, my colleague Jenny Brand Miller from the University of Sydney, you're part of the world, mm -hmm. she and I have worked together for years and years and years. If you eat a bunch of sugar and refined carbohydrates and wheat and whatever, it adversely affects numerous hormonal problems and which relate to health and well-being. And so our point is, is that we use that template and we can extend it beyond high glycemic load carbohydrates, which now most people in the world would say that you shouldn't be eating. High salt foods, most people in the world say high salt foods are not good for us. But when we move to the the dimension of whole grains, that may not agree with many people. And when we move to the dimension of dairy products, that may not agree with most people. But what I say, don't listen to Lauren Cordain, look at the data and let mm. the data evaluate itself. Mm. And that's what I think is so cool about your generation and these people that are moving forward with the, the paleo diet, they're saying, all right, let's see what the data says. Well, Lauren, let's talk a little bit about that data. The data, like, could you give us a little bit of some highlights uh, quickly of, of what what is actually shown and how we got here in the first place? Well, you know, it, it depends on uh, on which dietary element you want to look at, Lawrence. But uh, let's I look at grains. Let's look. Let's look at grains and and why is it so bad? You know, what are the, some of the two or three things um, that are, we? I know we talked about this before. And we people know it, but I don't think they understand why. Mm. And as a scientific researcher, I think, you know, it would be great to sort of, you know, give us, you know, two or three highlights that research have shown that, um, that grains are actually not great for us. One of the problems with grains is that the world follows what the United States Department of Agriculture and what we used to have called the food pyramid, mm. now called the food plate. Your country, yeah. Australia, follows it. European countries follow it. South Africa follows it. Most most of the westernized countries around the world follows footstep whatever the United States says. Well, why should you? You have, <laughs> you have scientists, you have people that can think independently. It's like Americans don't have the inside track to everything in the world. And so this, this notion that whole grains are fundamental to human nutrition is a bunch of, can I say this on 
Australian radio is a bunch of bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) It it, it just doesn't work. And uh, if you look, like I said, it's like the data should, the data should drive itself. It shouldn't be any charismatic individual. It shouldn't be USDA. It shouldn't be Lauren Cordain. It should be people evaluating critically scientific literature. And when we look at the scientific literature, whole grains or even refined grain, well, we know that refined grains don't do, they cause all kinds of problems, but whole grains cause as many problems as refined grains. And in the United States, uh, we finally got around to looking at how many people have celiac disease and it turns out that about close to 3 million of the population have celiac disease. Same as in Australia, same as in Europe, same as in South Africa. So we have this huge proportion of people who have celiac disease. Well, it's only 1% of the population. Let's just throw it along the sideline and say that whole grains are good for everybody. No. <laughs> what we find out now is that gluten sensitivity in the United States afflicts between 8 and 10 million people. And if you can transpose those numbers to Australia, to Europe, uh, to other parts of the Western world, is that this is a huge percentage of the population that doesn't deal with gluten-containing grains very well. So in the United States, uh, the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, are having problems with this. It's like maybe we shouldn't be making these whole-scale population recommendations to eat grains. So that's just, that's just one part of it. And, and so that's the grain issue. We can go into it in a lot larger detail. But I guess what I want to leave your listeners with is there is no human requirement nutritionally to eat grains. Yeah. We don't have to eat grains. We can get by perfectly without eating grains. And yep. grains contain multiple anti-nutrients that uh, cause problems. So, great so Lauren, point the point we're getting across here then is that we, we didn't evolve in an environment that involved, that included grains. You know, when we were actually going through that evol- evolutionary process, we, did, we weren't milling grains and doing all that sort of stuff. So I guess what we need to go back to is the start. I mean, what were we eating as we were evolving? What, what is the food we evolved to eat? Well, you know, Damien, that's a, a great question, and, and our scientific research group, and I've been involved, I think it's totally cool, I've been involved with Australian scientists, Neil Mann, Jenny Brand Miller, some of top people in your nutritional group. We've been publishing together for decades, or at least a decade, and we have analyzed the diets of hunter-gatherer societies, but with the best data we have, I mean, it's, this is kind of soft data and weak data, but the best data we have shows they weren't eating grains. This were not a staple food. This was a starvation food. And um, their staple food was wild animal flesh and organs. And they ate seasonally wild plant and animal foods. It may have been grains a few, a month or two out of the year, but it was ever what was ever available. The difference between their diet and ours is that we eat grains all year round. They <clears throat> ate a variety of plant foods all year round, and their staple was animal foods. And when we look at that nutritional pattern, that actually has uh, a variety of 
healthful benefits. So, um, you know, we can get into that kind of detail, but when we try to recreate modern healthful diets, instead of looking at the USDA food pyramid, which tells us we need to eat foods from all five food groups, there were two food groups that were excluded from ancestral human diets. They couldn't have ever eaten dairy products because they hadn't domesticated animals. Try That's to it. Milk. Uh, you would have been very brave. Let's <laughs> <laughs> to get a milk of bison or something. You guys, Damien, Damien, in, in, in your part of the world, can you go out and catch a red kangaroo and, and pull its tits? Not easily, Lauren. Yeah, so, so it's totally ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. It's absolutely ridiculous, um, mate. In in the states, uh, you guys have a huge issue with corn. Um, it seems like every corner you turn, something's containing corn. You know, if it's high fructose corn syrup, or if it's actually corn tortillas, or if it's corn on the cob, or whatever, it seems to be filtering through to other countries. You know, and and I, I'm not a big fan of corn. There was one thing that you did tell me. Uh, I'm, I'm actually, I think it was you that told me was that many people don't have the digestive enzymes to be able to get through the uh, the, the the plant fibres, the cellulose fibres, to be able to access the nutrition in corn. So essentially, just eating a carbohydrate bundle. Is that can can you elaborate on that? Is that correct? You know, I, I don't know that, that I've ever been quoted on saying that, and I, I'm not sure that I would go to that extent. Uh, the problem with corn uh, is that it has, the way we eat it in the Western world, we eat it in cornstarch, we eat it in tortillas, we eat it in, you know, processed foods, is that it, it lends to the high glycemic load of the Western diet. So corn syrup, high fructose corn syrup, yeah, you name it. It, it. Products that are produced from corn uh, tend to produce adverse health effects. And there's a, there's a really cool uh, DVD and movie that is available. Your generation, I'm 65, <laughs> I'm 70-ish. It's like your generation produced this and it's called King Corn. And what you can see about king corn is that the United States government subsidizes the production of corn in the United States. And so if you're a corn farmer in Iowa or Nebraska and you want to grow 100 acres of corn, you'll lose money unless the government subsidizes it. The government subsidizes it because they sell the corn to the middlemen, the guys that make high fructose corn syrup and vitamin E and all these other products out of corn and so it forces the farmers to raise corn in the middle west they should be raising pigs and chickens and you know tomatoes and beets and everything else but in the united states two-thirds of the agricultural landscape is devoted to corn because the government subsidizes it Wow. So that, that's a really nasty thing, and it, it causes it's a cyclic com that causes health problems in our country because when people eat high fructose corn syrup, blah blah blah, you guys get the picture. 
Yeah, wow. Yeah. Now, now, Lauren, uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, fats as well because I think this is a really important topic. And, uh, you know, obviously we kind of went through the 80s where we had, you know, everyone shouldn't, shouldn't have fat because it's going to make you fat. Um, and then we sort of moved on to saturated fats. You shouldn't have saturated fats. And then it sort of changed to, well, you shouldn't have, you know, animal-based saturated fats. And, you know, I was just reading your new book, The Paleo Answer, and you're now talking a bit more about why those saturated fats actually can be an important part of the diet, whatever the source they're coming from. I'd love you to expand a bit more on that and how that, you know, how that came about that everyone thought that the fats were no good and what your research has shown on that. You know, Lawrence, thank you so much for that question and uh, I appreciate it. Good scientists, when the data indicates otherwise, change the way they perceive things. And by no means am I saying that I'm a good scientist. I'm a flawed scientist like every other scientist. But one of the, the factors that I've always had in my career is that when the data and the science and the information changes is that you owe it if you are a well-read scientist, like I am somewhat, <laughs> is you owe it to your readers is to present to them the change in the perspective. And the perspective has changed dramatically in the last three to five years. And the perspective has been always that saturated fats cause heart disease. You eat a bunch of bacon, butter, and cheese. You're going to clog your arteries. You're going to die of a heart attack, and it's all over. Well, the most recent meta-analyses from the Harvard School of Public Health and Ronald Krauss's group and others analyzing tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in hundreds of cases now tell us that saturated fats probably have a minimal effect on heart disease. Wow. And I can honestly say that I jumped on board with this. I was I was on the wrong side of the, the perspective a decade ago. But in 2005, I wrote a paper, and we actually analyzed the saturated fat content in hunter-gatherer diets, and it was way higher than the recommended values. We analyzed the saturated fat content in 229 hunter-gatherer societies. We found it ranged between, I don't know, about 13 to 18% of calories, and if you contrast that to what the American Heart Association, the American Dietetic Association, the United States Department of Agriculture says we ought to cut our saturated fats to 10%, it wasn't. It was totally inconsistent. So hunter-gatherers ate way more saturated fats. And so our challenge was to show how high saturated fat content actually do not promote heart disease. And myself along with scientists from around the world have, including the guys at the Harvard School of Public Health, have also suggested the same thing. And what we now believe is that there's noise in the Western diet. When you eat high glycemic load carbohydrates, when you eat Kellogg's cornflakes and sugars and eggs and bacon and saturated fat, it comes out that, yes, you have high incidence of cardiovascular disease. Very few populations don't eat high glycemic load carbohydrates, but do eat high saturated fats. Mm. And so 
what we believe is that in the Western world, if you adopt a contemporary paleo diet, when your glycemic load is low, you don't eat high refined sugars, high refined grains, and you eat a ton of bacon and you know lamb chops and whatever, probably has minimal effect on cardiovascular disease. Only when you include the Western foods in your diet, the refined sugars, refined grains, refined vegetable oils, trans fats, all this, all this crap, pardon the French down under guys, is that when you eat processed foods is that they are what contribute to cancer, cardiovascular disease and autoimmunity and inflammation. When you eat real foods, probably has minimal effect upon these diseases. It makes sense, um, doesn't it? Yeah, it absolutely makes absolute sense. I think the key thing you said there is when you eat real food. So it's the non-processed stuff that's the key thing. And quite clearly it works, Lauren. When, you know, when you say that you're 60, what did you say? I thought you said 62, but then you said 65. What? Well, I'm 62. <laughs> I feel like I'm 65 because I've been on this planet so long. But <laughs> <laughs> but you look 40. You look 40. You know, I'm looking at this photo of you, and I don't know whether it's been photoshopped, mate, or if you've uh, pulled out one uh, from someone else's wallet from a long time ago. But it's um, you look very, very young. And this is consistent with what we found with Mark Sisson and what we see with Rob Wolf. And I know that, you know, Brett's been told he looks about 12. Lawrence has got porcelain skin, and I, I think <laughs> I look less you know, than, than 30 years old. So, I, um, you know, I think that when we eat more paleo, I think that we – we don't age as fast. That's what I've tended to find, and uh, and I see that more with my practice members, the people that come and see me to help you know lose weight or to stay healthy or whatever. When I give them an eating program that consists of good, real food, they look younger, they feel better, they have less joint problems, they their whole health, their whole life just improves. And I suppose that's what you've experienced in doing the work you've done. You know, Damien, thank you so much, and uh, you know, I. I very much appreciate the support from Australia and down under. And as I mentioned, I've I've spoken to many large groups of people in Australia. And one of the, the pleasures that I've had is to go into an Australian supermarket and see what foods you have to offer. And I remember being in uh, not Melbourne, what 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 is your capital city that in Adelaide? Is that is that right? That's the capital of the world, mate. No, no I don't that's know about not. That. That's the bummer. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah, well, I was down Sydney, there. Sydney. Yeah, well, I, I was down there, and I actually got into one of your supermarkets and uh, walked through because I, the people that brought me down there, I wanted to see what was available, and it's like, man, you guys got grass-fed lamb, and it's not fatty like in America. You've got grass-fed beef. You can even get kangaroo. Yeah. Um, and the the plethora of fresh fish and shrimp and scallops and was amazing. I'm thinking to myself, God, this is the best place in the world to go. And then you have all these veggies that come from Southeast Asia. So you got this thing that's going on all year round and you get fresh vegetables, you know. I'm thinking, God, in Australia, it's like this is this makes it the easiest place in the world to go to eat paleo. So it's not surprising to me that paleo is is not only becoming a world renowned 
concept in the United States and in Europe, but Australia is driving it as well. Lauren, would it surprise you to hear that Australia is the fattest country in the world? We're actually 68.7% of our population's obese or overweight. Actually, I, I, Damien, I think that uh, the United States still have you, don't we? Are we wrong with these statistics? No, we got you. We got you last year. We got you last year. You actually have the biggest people on the planet. Like You guys have got the fattest people. We have the, mo- the most amount of fat people. Um, you know, Damien, I, I think part of the problem is, is that when people eat, they eat for taste. Uh, and yeah. when McDonald's comes to Australia, when Taco Bell comes to Australia, or what KFC. is the latest cracker? KFC. KFC, yeah. Or the latest cracker or cookie or, you know, whatever processed foods is developed in the United States, it, it is marketed worldwide and people eat um, not because they're educated, they eat because of what tastes good. Mm. And it's no different in Australia. I mean, so we can trade statistics about whether we're the fattest, <laughs> this or that or whatever. And we can go to South or Southern you know, Africa, uh, to Johannesburg, or to Canada. But eventually, people eat what tastes incredibly delicious. And the average person is not educated. They've never heard of paleo. They've never heard of, you know, they've heard of low-fat, high-carb. They've heard of Atkins, this or that or the other. But paleo is a new concept. And one of the things that I thought was so interesting is that it's the cleanest diet in the world. <laughs> I, you know, at 62, I've heard, wow, how did you guys come? How did your generation come up with that? It's the cleanest diet in the world. It's green. Gary yeah. Taubes, we, I was in, in, in UCLA, you know, in August. Gary Taubes says it's the greenest diet. So it's like you produce meat locally, you produce fruit and vegetables locally, there's no middleman, and you eat it. <laughs> Grains, on the other hand, require fertilization, agriculture, oil, and all the rest of this nonsense. Heaps of water, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you guys are on board with that. Yeah, that's it. Brent, um, I haven't heard from you. Well, mate, I'll, uh, <laughs> I, I did ask a question before, but I think the wires got a little bit crossed. So, um, I think we sort of we touched a little bit on the uh, on the milk and the dairy earlier when we were talking about the uh, you know who would be brave enough to go and, and milk a wild buffalo. But uh, but can you tell us a little bit about you know what effect dairy has on our bodies? Um, you know, what what do you see in the research in terms of you know people consuming lots of dairy? Hey Brett, thanks for the question. Is that uh, you know my fifth book, the the, the most recent book was uh, available in December of two thousand and ten, and I've devoted entire chapter to that with about 200 scientific references. But I guess one of the first and most obvious effects that I would say is that if you drink milk or you eat dairy products, it increases insulin resistance. And the data is very preliminary. It comes from Christian Hoppe's group in one of the Scandinavian countries. But what she did is she put uh, a group of 28 young boys, 8 to 10 years old, on a high milk diet for a week. And then they replaced the milk with meat. 
and they measured insulin resistance at the beginning and the end of both trials, both arms of the, the study. And what they found is that after a high milk diet, all 24 boys became insulin resistant. And so we right. know that insulin was, yeah. And so you can go online, you go to Medline, you don't have to listen to me. Go on H O P P E, Hoppy C, and and locate that study, and you can see that uh, that's that's huge. Is that insulin resistance is associated with all kinds of diseases of the metabolic syndrome: hypertension, cardiovascular disease, obesity, acne, blah 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 blah. Yep. So, so we're we're actually in the process, you know. One of the differences with interviewing many people on your show is that I'm a research scientist at a Division One institute. So when we see these kind of uh, problems or inconsistencies, we don't just let them go. We actually apply for governmental grant fundings and we follow them up. So what we're doing right now is, is we're going to try to replicate the Hoppy study in children in adults to see if a high milk diet actually causes insulin resistance. Wow. Wow. That's that's, that's massive. So no. high a high milk diet, are we talking half a glass a day? Or are we talking three or four glasses a day? What's what's considered high milk? And do you, do you know anything about whether it's the lactose or the casein or if there's anything in particular inside milk that it could be? You know, I'd have to go back and look specifically. I'm I'm a little bit tired tonight because it's about seven thirty at night in North America. But uh, and I don't have that information on the top of my head. When I was forty two, sure. I could quote to you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you you guys can go online, and that's what Google and the internet and Medline is all about. You can call that paper up instantaneously, probably before I can utter the next syllable. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. that if you want to find. Hoppy, H-O-P-P-E-C, on Medline and milk and children, you can see what it is. My recollection is, is I think they gave him about 100 grams of protein per day with milk versus meat. And when they gave him the high milk load, they all became insulin resistant. When they gave him the milk load, they became insulin sensitive. So, well, uh, look, look for our listeners. I'll, I'll grab that study and put it on our Facebook page, Lauren. So they'll be able to grab it from there. Fantastic! Yeah, I've just Thanks grabbed it. Me. It's very interesting. Oh, was yeah, that Lawrence or Damien? Oh, that was Brett. that was Brett. Oh, okay, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for being on the call. You know, when we started this, uh, probably about seven months ago, you were in the top like the first person we wanted to interview and that was our goal and so we achieved it today so you know we're we're all excited <laughs> so thank you for uh being on the call now i know a lot of listeners who are going to want to find out more information about you and uh, i would guide people to the website called thepaleodiet.com you're going to find heaps of information on, on that website um you know, Lawrence written a lot of books, and the latest book is called The Paleo Answer. Um, I think it was uh, the seven seven days to uh, feeling great and uh, and to lose weight and to also staying young too as well, so, which is a great book. And he's got several other books, The Paleo Diet Book and um, and also a Paleo Diet Cookbook as well. So I really encourage all our listeners to go check out the website because there's tons of information on there, and you're going to love it. Thank you, Lauren, for joining us uh, all the way from Colorado, and we really appreciate your time and your insights and your wisdom. Them. We do feel like uh, you know we, we've been the presence of Yoda, so it's it's been great. 
<laughs> well, guys, I'm humbled by that, and thank you so much. And it's it's my pleasure to be involved with you and and the, the generation that comes after me. Right. Well, as always, uh, join us each week on the wellnessguys.com. Leave your comments below. Let us know what you think about Lauren and what uh, what he has to say about uh, milk and grains and everything he's mentioned on this episode. Tell your friends and make sure you like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Sign up for a notice each episode and download us on iTunes. Until next week, beginning creating wellness into your lives. Let's lead by example and let's change the world's health together. Join us next week on the Wellness Guys Show.